may I show all the love I have in any way I can, here, now, and all the time, to everything and everyone, including me, since love is what we are and why. Now nothing matters more or gives me greater joy. So we want to keep coming back to this as the overall principle upon which our lives and practice are based. It's about this. It's about how could I show all the love I have in the lifespan I've been given? And is this why I was given a lifespan? And it wouldn't be just here and now, it would be all the time. And it wouldn't be just to people, it would be to things and animals. And it wouldn't be to others, it would be myself too. And the only reason I'm doing this is because this is what I actually am. So when St. John says God is love, that's the same as everything is love. And why we're here. And that this would start to matter more than anything we might achieve. Or how much money we would make or how much power we would have in the world. What would matter is, am I living out my commitment to show all the love I have? And of course, it's a source of joy. So our topic today is the title of my book, and this is the one we'll be using. So uh, if you would like this, it's on the back table. And uh, I'd like to begin with just a page from this because I think it kind of sets the tone of our topic. So now I'm on page three. In my work over the years as a therapist and in my own life experience, I have noticed that the healthier people become psychologically, the more goodness do they show. So there's some connection between becoming healthier in your psychological life. I'll talk about these distinctions as we go along. And becoming more spiritually conscious which means showing more loving kindness. We can dedicate ourselves to practices of integrity and love and soon notice ourselves becoming more psychologically healthy. In other words, it works the other way also. Our behavior is no longer based on childhood conditioning or on primitive attitudes, but in our now more evolved spiritual consciousness. We have made the transition from habit to choice a definition of freedom. These commitments that we'll be talking about today can't be strategies by which we seek to manipulate others into responding kindly or generously to us. Our dedication is not based on others' behavior. We choose to be loving no matter what others do. The golden rule is unilateral. It does not promise 
nor is it conditional upon reciprocity. At the same time, we might notice that our loving kindness can sometimes turn the ill will of others into goodwill. So that works also. We have no way of guaranteeing that anyone will treat us with integrity and loving kindness, but nothing can stop us from giving our personal guarantee that we will act that way. And that becomes such a source of joy that we settle more easily into the world just as it is, without complaint. Personally, I still believe, even after all the grim events of our recent history, that we humans can trust that we are inherently pure goodness, consciousness, and bliss. They reside and always are able to arise in every one of us. They never go away, nor can they be lost in the dark. We do not have to search for this light. We only keep making choices for uprightness and love, and soon we will be deeply feeling and gladly sharing the good news that light is our true nature and that love is how we show it. Virginia Woolf, in her novel, The Waves, shows us what will happen. Moment by moment, things are losing their hardness. Now even my body lets the light through. So this wouldn't be about um, finding a way to release the love, integrity, and compassion. Um, as if it were really difficult to access, this would begin with trusting that these are in us and always have been. But because of so many dark experiences in the course of life, and because of so many habits that we've built, and because of so many fears that we carry around, we don't uh, show these easily. So what I've designed is uh, a set of practices that show us how we could put the love compassion and integrity into our life experience without, um, uh, without doubt that they are really in us. So that's our overall topic, and it's certainly a, a wonderful one, isn't it? So um, I think a good way to begin is just with an overall picture of the various areas that we'll go into. So we're going to be talking about nurturing ourselves and about cultivating our integrity, becoming as real as we can be, uh, how we can be with others, including in intimate ways, and finally reaching out beyond ourselves. And for each of these, I have some specific practices. 
So uh, what I'll do is I'll take one or two from each of these, and then we'll uh, kind of see where it goes. So let's begin with the distinction that we can make between psychological and spiritual, since we've often heard of this distinction and we might not have a really clear picture about it. That won't be very clear. So our psychological, we could call it this psychological work, and then distinguish it from spiritual practice. Although I've had a realization that's come to me from the 12-step program, so I'm going to bring that in. But first, let's look at what we mean by psychological work. It has something to do with um, finally being free to show and release our true self. So this is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is my uh, personality style. For instance, let's say you're an introvert and we live in a world that's so extroverted that it seems as if the extroverted is the um, preferred way of being. This is the trend. And then when you're introverted, uh, you might feel like you're um, outside the mainstream, and of course you are. Uh, an introvert is a person who will be depleted when he or she spends too much time with others, whereas an extrovert is animated by the company of others. So just knowing this about ourselves is what I mean by starting to piece together what your true self is about. So am I uh, oriented toward being introverted or extroverted? And then do I design a lifestyle that fits with who I am? That's all in the realm of what's psychological. Secondly, that um, I have effective relationships with others. So effective relationship would effective relationships are those in which I have freed myself from the fear of intimacy. But at the same time, I am living in accord with my true self. So I might not be a person who's cut out for a live-in, long-standing relationship with somebody. So I've gotten to know that about myself, and it's not I'm not avoiding that because of fear. I'm simply not choosing it because I found out that that's not who I really am. And take, it could take as many years to find this out, and many marriages. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but 
that will be all part of knowing yourself. <laughs> Third, that I am not driven <clears throat> by anxiety in the way I make my choices and act in the world. I'm coming from a place that's basically serene and I feel comfortable being myself in the world around me. I'm not acting in ways that are meant to stave off some anxiety. What are some of these ways? For instance, I might, if I were driven by anxiety, it might lead me to be compulsive. And one of the forms of compulsivity is control. Try to be a con very controlling person. I might get caught up in an addiction. As I do my psychological work and become healthy psychologically, then uh, this is not part of my lifestyle. What's not part of my lifestyle? Compulsion and addiction that come from my attempt to stave off anxiety. Everybody following so far? So these would be examples, which are familiar to all of you, of what it is like to become healthier on the psychological level. The interesting thing that I've recently been working with is from the 12-step program, in which there's no longer such a big distinction between the psychological work, for instance, of, in, in that example of letting go of addiction, but we would need a spiritual foundation for any of the work that we do on ourselves. So instead of, of dividing psychological and spiritual, the program has helped us see that they actually go together and aren't divisible. So now when I look at well, what is meant by our spiritual practice? So psychological work and spiritual practice, these are the two areas in life that call for some effort on our part. Spiritual practice would be to see things mindfully. I'll explain what I mean by this to act with loving-kindness. That would be the meta-practice that um, some of us are involved in. And the unconditional yes to the givens of life to the way it is in the world around us. This is not about you and your psychological makeup. This is the way the universe works. It operates on the basis of certain givens. I'll come back to this. And when we say yes to these givens without protest or blame, we 
are more spiritually evolved. What's a spiritual mean in this context? Spiritual uh, means something more is happening than we make happen. So in mindfulness, when something clicks in and I'm actually present in the here and now without all the interruptions and interferences that come from my usual mindsets, when that just clicks in, that's the something more happening than I'm making happen. It just occurs, it just opens up. Uh, when I choose to act with loving-kindness, that's my effort. But when I notice myself looking at the world and others with more love, then something more is happening than can be accounted for by anything that I've done. Another word for all this, of course, is grace. So instead of everything being effort, I'm making room for the something more, which is in 12-step programs is called a higher power. Higher power than what? Higher power than your own effort. It doesn't have to refer to somebody up in the sky looking down on you um, and, and handing out graces. It's um, more of a realization that sometimes something comes through that I can't account for by anything I've done. It's unmerited, unearned, uncontrolled, unplanned, unexpected, and that uh, is what's always been called grace. So that's what I mean by spiritual. When you, when you um, acknowledge and access the more than you came in with psychologically. You came in with the ability to notice whether you're an introvert. But you didn't come in making yourself an introvert. That's just in you. It's just a given. So that makes it also spiritual, not just psychological. You didn't just have effective relationships because you took a communications course and you know how to communicate better. You're having better relationships because um, some deepening has occurred through your experience, something more than you can uh, jimmy through anything you might do. And you also notice that there's a certain serenity that has come to you, a kind of contentment in the world that um, isn't the result of any kind of work. So both psychologically and spiritually, there's more going on. So I'm beginning with this so that so that we can see right from the beginning that our entire topic is actually spiritual and that this 
distinction between psychological and spiritual has been given too much emphasis and it's time for us to uh, shuffle these cards together to make one deck. They always were one deck, but we're seeing them that way. Everybody follow? Okay, so let me just say something on the givens uh, and then we'll open it up for some questions. Um, in my other book called The Five Things We Cannot Change, I talk about these five givens. Of course, there are thousands of givens, but I'm only taking certain ones that we can all easily acknowledge. I'm sure we've all noticed that we live in a world in which everything changes and ends. When I'm able to say yes to this without a quarrel, without a fight, I am entering the Buddhist principle of impermanence and I am not seeing it as something dangerous or penalizing. I'm seeing it as something which is just the given, the way it is, and if it's this way, and at the same time, I'm in a world which is continually evolving, and I'm evolving too, then if it's this way, this must be one of the ingredients by which I can evolve. So I can embrace this and say, oh, there's something in this that helps me be my true self. Secondly, my plans don't always come through <laughs> as I had imagined. So when I can see this as a given, then I start to be okay with the fact that I'm not in full control. So the first one helps me not hold on, but let go. Continual letting go. I saw an interesting quote once by um, Carl Rogers. Of course, he lived in La Jolla, Southern California. And he said, the one thing I've noticed living in Southern California is you can only be happy if you're continually willing to let go of what was going on and who was here and let in who's coming towards you. So we're continually doing that. We're continually letting go and letting in. Um, the plans help us let go of control. Uh, the fact that the plans don't always come through helps us let go of control. <clears throat> Third given is that suffering is part of everyone's life. And there's something about the suffering that we go through that deepens us, that shows us um, that we're vulnerable, that shows us that um, we need others, that helps us be compassionate toward those who suffer as we do. So look at all we gain. We gain compassion. 
we, be, we gain awareness of our wounded state. And as you trust these as the legitimate ingredients of spiritual progress, then you embrace them rather than ask yourself the question, why did this happen to me? In fact, of all the practices I've ever done, this is the most powerful. And it ended my asking why. Because now when something happens, I say, well, it isn't, it isn't why, it's yes, now what? Fourth, life is not always fair. There's no one making sure that we will get a fair deal. Noticing this, I am aware again of my vulnerability. I'm aware of what it feels like when things are unfair. Hi, Barbara. So this leads me to something new, which is then I will show fairness in all my dealings. And that will be my contribution. And finally, I'm sure somebody in here noticed this one. People are not loyal and loving all the time. They are sometimes loyal and loving, but they're not always this way. So when someone is disloyal or when someone is unloving, it comes as no surprise. And it isn't taken quite as personally, oh, this is the kind of world I'm in. Oh, it's like this here. And if it's like this here, then it must be that I once again locate my vulnerability and I decide that I at least will act in an unconditionally loving and loyal way toward others, no matter how they act toward me. Reminds me of the lines by uh, the poet W.H. Auden. If equal affection cannot be, let the more loving one be me. How many of us we would be willing to say that? If equal affection cannot be, let the more loving one be me. Instead of, if equal affection cannot be, what's wrong with me? Or what's wrong with you? So, so there's something about this that helps us um, find out more about our own way of loving. Can I be strong enough to love others no matter how they come across to me?
or even how they treat me. So we don't allow people to mistreat us, but we also don't retaliate. So we'll come back to that later. These five, none of which is very appealing in the course of the day, uh, as I said, turn out to be the very ingredients of three things. They sh give you character when you say yes to them. They give you depth as a person. Because the, the opposite of these would be a, a world that's very superficial. Be like a fairy tale style, happily ever after. A character, depth, and compassion for others who feel as we do. So here we're certainly in the realm of a spiritual practice. What is the practice? An unconditional yes. I'm quoting Jung, who, who first mentioned this. He talked about an unconditional yes to the givens of existence. And that when we do this, we become more individuated in the world. So this unconditional yes to the way it is, leading to more character, depth, and compassion, becomes a, a, uh, the kind of a practice that exponentially helps us because it does so much for us. What does it do for us? It gives us more depth, more character, more compassion. Okay, so let me just go back to the mindfulness and then we'll open it up for the questions. By the mindfulness, um, in this instance, I'm referring to being present in the here and now with what happens. So if because of my acceptance of the givens of life, I have recognized that these givens are my pathway to becoming more than I have been, that is, becoming more fully myself. Um, and who is my fullest self? Nothing less than um, Buddha here on this earth right now. One who lives from love, wisdom, and healing power. So when I accept what happens to me and take everything as an opportunity for practice, Practice of what? Practice of 
mindfulness, loving kindness, and unconditional yes. Then even betrayals start to have a new meaning. They don't become what they were in the ego's narrow and limited world. How dare someone hurt me this way? I'll hurt him or her back. Something else is happening. Oh, there's something in this. There's an opportunity in this for the practice of may I show all the love I have in every way I can. And since everything has an opportunity for practice, then everything that happens is some kind of grace. And everything that happens is somehow legitimate. Quoting the uh, ancient Roman poem, nothing human is alien from me. So everything that can happen to any human can happen to me. And you really have to ask yourself if you believe that. If you smoke cigarettes, then you don't believe that. Because you think, well, they'll get cancer, but I won't. So it's a rare person who believes fully without any interfering superstition, any sense of special entitlement that anything can happen to me. I am not here with a special exemption. If that's the case, and at the same time, the wonderful realization that it holds an opportunity for some kind of practice that moves me along on my spiritual path, then it's not as bad as it seemed. So uh, the mindful presence, I'm in the here and now without the usual fears, without the desire to make everything different, without the judgments of myself and others, without the attachment to having things come out a certain way, without having to be in control. And without having to uh, feel compelled to act a certain way. When I remove all of these from whatever the event is that has occurred in my life, then I'm just present in the here and now in a mindful way. That is how the opportunity opens up. That's when you see the opportunity. You don't see the opportunity when there's a judgment in the way or control or any, any of these desire, attachment, so forth. It, the, the opportunity opens when you open into this here and now. And it's really hard to do. Sometimes you can only do it for a second or two. And even that second or two I consider a grace because it's just hard to imagine that these monkey minds are capable even of a second of pure intentionality. Pure intention of what? Of being in the here and now just as it is. 
reminds me of this poem by, by Wallace Stevens, just the first line. It feels good as it is. Without the giant, the thinker of the first idea. Feels good as it is without what my mind does to make it into something that I can live with. So when we get to that point, feels good as it is, that would be the ultimate flowering of the unconditional yes to the givens of life. Okay, this is a lot, so let's stop for questions. This is by way of introduction to our overall topic. Yes. Oh, duh. We have a microphone for the people with questions. So I'm wondering if you could talk about, I wonder if you could talk about appreciation, the lack of appreciation. How about this? Now it's on. Yeah. Okay. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how the lack of appreciation can um, stymie or frustrate one's generosity and compassion in the following way, where, where one's acting with generosity and compassion, there's a lack of appreciation, and even if you're not attached to wanting it, you're thinking, well, this must not be very effective, because if it was effective, there would be appreciation. Mm. So maybe I should stop doing it because it's not really helping. Yeah. And then you think, well, maybe the other person actually is benefiting, but they just don't know how to show appreciation, so you should just keep giving, and you're in this tension constantly of, I'm going to check out because I'm not appreciated, versus I should just keep giving for all the reasons you described. Mm -hmm. Good question. I'm glad you brought this up because it helps us go to the subjects of ego. Uh, <laughs> it's that uh, enduring habit inside of demanding reciprocity that can't abide the lack of appreciation. So let's distinguish between that style. So you have the, you have the ego, which is simply the Latin word for I, meaning uh, me-centered, shall we say. And it operates on the basis of entitlement. So this is the neurotic ego, not the healthy ego. This is the ego that we're here to let go of or somehow work with so that it becomes, um, so that it frees itself from its longstanding habits, one of which is entitlement. So I'm entitled to appreciation to recognition, to reciprocity. This is a good example of 
of um, working with our, nat our natural inborn psychology and seeing a spiritual alternative, seeing something more. So just ego as it is, with its sense of entitlement, wants the appreciation, recognition, and reciprocity. But there's nothing wrong with this. This is just um, natural in human relating. So we start there. So it's all okay until it becomes extreme, in which case it becomes demanding. And the gift dimension is gone because I'm no longer giving if I don't continue to get appreciation. So the generosity part is missing. So we have to somehow go from it's okay to want this to the given that sometimes it isn't forthcoming and that does not dictate the end of my practice. I continue with the generosity. So this would be the style of the Sermon on the Mount. Be good to those who hate you. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who mistreat you. What is it saying? Um, it's, it's saying that, and we have the same teachings in Buddhism, of course, that the high road will be the one in which even that which is natural and okay no longer is such a big deal to me because the joy of my generosity and the purity of my intention has become much more important than whether Others respond as I wanted them to. The, the joy of my generosity and the purity of my intention to continue in my practice for the spiritually evolving of myself and all beings has become so important and so joyous to me that my not getting what I wanted no longer matters as much. What a perfect example of the more. Something more is happening. What more is happening? I have gone beyond the tit-for-tat world and I have um, so uh, committed myself to the riches of, of generosity that the response of others is no longer such a big deal. It will always feel important because there's always the okay with it inside us. That's natural. But uh, it's just no longer dictates anything. Make sense? Respond? Good, good.
Okay, somebody else had a, with a red shirt. Hi. Hi. I'm wondering if you could discern um, what you're saying about generosity and continuing to be generous and um, what happens when I may find myself in a situation where I consider I might be maltreated. So there's still generosity flowing, mm -hmm. um, but what's the discernment about um, being attracted to situations that are healthy um, compared to situations that definitely um, may require, like there's still an opportunity for generosity, but generosity needs to include me too, so mm -hmm. how to make sense of this. Yes, I understand. So you're always saying no to abuse, mistreatments. You're always saying no to abuse, mistreatments, hurt, and harm. While not engaging in it as retaliation. So the more you're taking care of yourself, the more conscious are you of when others cross the line and do something that has become abusive, hurtful, and so forth. And you're um, not allowing that. You're simply, but you're also not retaliating against it. You're simply moving out of the way. And you're not staying in situations in which it keeps happening. So this led to my little rule of thumb that in a relationship, no more than 30 days of it's not working before you take action. Say that again, David. I say. <laughs> That you would make a commitment to yourself. There will be there will be no more than thirty days of the relationship not working before I will take some type of action, such as let's go to therapy, let's work it out, let's let's leave each other, let's whatever. But some type of plan that you have um, that takes care of you takes care of yourself. So you have to ask, am I on the 30-day plan or the 30-year plan? <laughs> Which we saw our parents doing, and some of us have done. Now we have less time left, so we haven't got another 30 years. Oh, did I answer your question? Okay. Um, all the way in the back with the pink shirt. Not really a question, but I wanted to add to that, Hi. Dave. Um, the engineer in me wants to make the distinction in the system of hurt. Okay. And so I would add, and this is what was going through my mind as you were talking, hurt is how I experience something, so I own that, and that makes room for one of the five A's that allowing people don't always please me. Simple example, 
kid wants to go to Disneyland, parent says no. Kid's hurt. Parent didn't intend to hurt it, the, the child, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a distinction between my experience and your intent. And if it becomes evident that your intent is to hurt me, and I notice that pattern, that's the real step away. That's now not just my experience. That's your, that's abuse. That's for me, that's the distinct. Uh, mm-hmm. So anyway, that's okay. my comment. Good, I like that. Very good. Thank you, Yarko. Uh, okay, she's coming around with the microphone. Do we have somebody else with the microphone so you don't have to do this? Because are you staying here with the taping? Okay. Uh, hi. Hi. Um, with regard to the ultimate, the opportunities that come from the five givens, yeah. how do you address not only yourself, if you start having, well, losses due to disease, but that, when that happens in others, how do, how do you perceive the opportunity in those that just say yes? I mean, I understand the, um, not everything's fair, and, uh, and the suffering and the compassion. So are you saying that when your mom, you know, develops something that's going to take her out, that I'm just supposed to try and help her to get to a place of, mom, doesn't this make you have more compassion for other people? What, where yeah, do you Yeah, you have go? to be, I understand what you mean, and I see what you're saying, that we don't want to push um, a consciousness that took us many years to get to onto others. So when others are suffering, uh, it isn't a matter of enlightening them. It's only one thing that's required. It's just to stay with you. And this presence, which continually asks the other, what do you need from me, rather than I'll tell you what you need. So it's a presence that asks I would see this as a high form of loving kindness. Can I just be here without telling you what it's about? Can I be here without telling you what I found out or the way I think it should be or is? I simply stay with you. Thinking of, I was just thinking of the Words of Romeo, I still will stay with thee, never from this palace of dim night 
to depart again. I still will stay with thee, never from this palace of dim night to depart again. I'll stay with you as long as the night lasts, even if it's into eternity. So there's something about that staying power that is part of the definition of love. Show all the love I have in any way I can. One of the ways I can is simply by staying. So little required. This isn't new. We heard this before. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Whatever we wanted from the higher power is what it takes to show love. Take everything that you learned in childhood or still have in your life now that you're trying to get from God, saints, Buddhas, Bodhisattvas. That is the way you find out how to love others. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil <clears throat> because you are with me. And there's something about what King David is saying is there's something about you walking beside me through this that is all that matters instead of since you are with me, I will not have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That would be the child version. <laughs> the adult version is, I'll still walk through, but you'll be with me. Can we do this for each other? And this is what we want from each other. How do we know what we want from each other? It's what we've always wanted from the higher power. So we don't want to underestimate the power of those um, traditional ways of seeing a higher power. There's another question. Right. Yes, right here. In regards to not trying to get my years of enlightenment and force that onto other people, I had a situation just two days ago when someone was going through some extreme emotional duress and they were demanding answers from me to help solve that problem. And I've always known to steer clear of that, but it's, it's how do I provide comfort and compassion when a person is looking for the answers that's within themselves outside of themselves? Mm. And uh, once again, it's a matter of the timing. That is a person who hasn't arrived at the plateau in which we know that the help isn't from outside, the help is from within. And in a crisis, you can't get that information across. So it's always, well, I don't have an answer to that, but the one thing I can do is stay with you for now. There's that beautiful scene in, um, maybe some of you saw the movie uh, Lars and the Real Girl. Yes. Good, okay. So... For those that haven't seen it and not giving anything away, 
Um, it's about a person who has a uh, mannequin? No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like an inflatable <laughs> doll kind of thing. And that's his girlfriend. And uh, the people in the town go along with it. They're trying to help him get th through this <laughs> problem. <laughs> anyway, uh, the doll, the mannequin, is in the hospital dying <laughs> in his mind. And uh, this is the kind of death watch night. And this is the part I'm bringing up. Three of the ladies from the town come in with their knitting. They sit. They're going to make some cocoa. And he's there, of course. And they say, we're just going to sit. And, you know, we're just going to be with you as you go through this time. This, I think one of them says, this is what people do. They come over and they sit with you. And I thought, oh, well, how beautiful this is the staying with. And they didn't say a word. They didn't say, oh, she's going to be fine. Oh, you know, everything will work out okay. They just sat and did their knitting, but they were very present. And I thought, isn't this beautiful? And uh, that is what I'm proposing. It's always the simplest approach that is the most powerful practice. Uh, do you have the, okay, way in the back? We'll come around. So I guess I had experience recently, which kind of, and I've been practicing for a while, consider myself to be fairly relaxed, but so we sort of had experience with the person that kind of, kind of broke through everything. And I guess the simplest way of asking the question is, how am I supposed to respond in a reasonable way to someone who's very passive aggressive without kind of checking out, which was, is my strategy, which has worked, but not my preferred technique. What is your strategy again? Oh, I just kind of, it was kind of hurtful, so I just disappeared. It was kind of a low-stakes relationship, so it didn't really matter from some standpoints, but I am bringing it up, so there we go. <laughs> hmm. Well, he's bringing up the idea of the, um, of the passive-aggressive style because there are some people who don't want to show you their anger directly, so they find little passive ways to get at you or get back at you. There's usually retaliation in it. So we're simply noticing that. We're not doing the same in return. And depending on the high stakes or low stakes of the relationship, to use your phrase, that's how much energy you put into talking about it. If it's a really important relationship, you're going to say ouch, and you're going to open up a dialogue. If it's not important, you're just going to back away, either one being acceptable. So the amount of energy that you're going to put into your response is in direct proportion to the status of the other person in your life, but the 
plan not to retaliate applies to everyone, no matter how unimportant that person may seem in, to your ego. Uh, and why would this be so? Because you've committed yourself to this practice of loving kindness, which does not include retaliating. So it's ouch and open the dialogue. This ouch, by the way, um, I went to a uh, talk at uh, the Zen Center in San Francisco, and um, the uh, abbot made a very good point, which I've been working with. He said, you want to look into your ouch and ask yourself, is this the pure anger Or does it still contain elements of retaliation? Desire to hurt the other? Entitlements? Nobody should treat me this way. That would be the equivalent of, I don't live in a world in which one of the givens is that people hurt you. That's not the world we're in. So the purity of the ouch is simply the registering of the pure anger. And then from, from this goes the open the dialogue. Let's talk about what's going on. Let's see if we can find a way to get along better. Yes, she's saying, is there such a thing as anger without retaliation? Yes, because what we've done in our practice is to break the old connection between the anger and the retaliation, desire to hurt, and entitlement to be treated with respect by everyone. We're breaking that connection. That's what practice means. See, without practice, all the feelings came with strings attached, such as if I'm mad at you for what you did, that gives me the right to hurt you back. We broke that connection when we chose loving kindness. Everybody get this? This is extremely important. We eliminated the strings. Now it's just, you hurt me, I say ouch and open a dialogue. I'm going up, not down. I'm going up to the new style. Ouch and dialogue is different from retaliation, hurt, and how dare you. That's what happened to the psychological events. They broke their instantaneous connection 
to the ego's style. How dare anybody treat me this way? He broke that connection. What an interesting example of how the spiritual consciousness literally changes the way we experience things. Because now it doesn't come through. The, the hurt from someone doesn't come through with, therefore, I'll get back at her. It comes through with ouch. But the pure ouch, the one without the uh, embroideries that the ego has designed over the years. You had a question. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. Uh, no, that's yeah. okay. Go ahead. I'm trying to formulate this. Um, <clears throat> can you talk about the connection between, um, and of course, this is personal to me, retaliation, desire to hurt, and entitlement versus. Um, Folks like Gandhi, Martin Luther King. In other words, um, in my own life, I've been a whistleblower when there have been things happening that weren't just injustices to myself. And um, yes, there was personal anger that things had happened to me, yet there were other things happening to other folks and nobody was stepping forward. And I did step forward and, and I got hurt for that, only, you know, kind of taking one for the team, so to speak. And I'm okay. I'm glad I did it. Mm -hmm. But the connection between loving kindness, mindfulness, kind of staying with the self and staying with what's present versus when it seems like someone needs to step up when there's gross injustice happening all over. Do, do you know what I'm talking yes. about? Okay. Thanks. So she's bringing up that you would still protest when there's injustice. Protest is the ouch for others. So you would still do that, but you would never descend into the style of hurt and retaliation. Why wouldn't you do this? Because you have now vowed yourself to a new style. What is this new style? Loving kindness rather than the old habit of ego, which goes back to caveman times. But as of fifth century, somebody came along, that is Buddha, who said, oh, well, wait, there's an alternative. And that alternative is the practice. So what we're doing with our book and our day today is we're looking at some specific practices and we're seeing that, um, in it, and we'll continue to see that each of these challenges us to go to a different place than is habituated into us conditioned into us by the world around us. Every, every person in here 
when watching a movie and seeing a criminal doing terrible things to one or more of the characters knows full well that this movie will not end until he gets his. And the worse that they treat others, you know that will be the worse punishment that will happen by the end of the story. Am I right? Why is this? Because this whole gene pool can only be satisfied if those scales of justice are righted, are placed in balance, one, and two, that part's not, that part's okay, but the string attached is where the problem is. And the only way to do this rebalancing is through retribution. It never occurs to them, no, there's another way, it's called reconciliation. You don't have to hurt people, you can somehow reconcile with them. So that is the, that would be the challenge. But isn't one of the givings is that sometimes life is not fair and it doesn't balance out? And exactly. And sometimes it won't balance. In a movie, they have the option of having it balance. <laughs> But in real life, it doesn't always go that way. Yes, we've noticed that. <clears throat> okay, let's have one more question, and then we'll take our break right here, the green shirt. Oh, oh, you had a question, or I thought you were... Oh, all right. And, you, and right after break, we'll have yours. I'm curious about um, free-floating anger. Um, and anger not towards individuals, having compassion for individuals, but free-floating anger towards institutions. And, um, <laughs> and, 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 and by extension, what I've, you know, what I reflected on as you were talking this morning is free-floating anger towards God or the universe or the higher power. And... I, I realize that part of that is caught up in my own sense of entitlement as having grown up expecting I would be in the middle class. I played by the rules. And over the last four years, because of you know the impact it's had on everyone, our economic recession, I've lost a lot. And I'm angry. I'm very angry, despite being, uh, you know, a... a a not so skillful sometimes, but sometimes skillful practitioner, it's hard for me to, it's challenging for me to move beyond that, to find equanimity towards the life situation that I found myself in, while at the same time thinking this opens new doors. You know, I'm, I'm not entitled to be middle class, so what does that mean? What's next? Mm. But still not being able to get to that point. Mm -hmm. I think many people could relate to that. And a couple of things just off the top of my head. First of all, anger is the shortest of all the feelings. <laughs> Grief is the longest. So when you're holding on to it for so long, 
then you have to ask yourself what else is going on and what kind of entitlement was I coming from? What given did I not get? So those kind of questions come up. Secondly, when the anger is toward institutions, it's the same ouch, but it's harder to open the dialogue. <laughs> because how do you dialogue with the institution? So you have to find a way within society that makes it possible to have some kind of some of your voice heard. And probably what we call the ongoing anger is precisely that, that our voice is not being heard. It's not just about how unfair it is. It's about the fact that nobody's doing anything about it. And what you're saying, your protest, is falling on deaf ears. So when you bring that part of it in, you get a bigger and clearer picture of what's going on and you see exactly where the frustration is. Okay, well we're going to take a short break. Just before we do, uh, I'll just mention that uh, some of my classes are on CDs, so there's a list. I didn't bring all of the sets of CDs, but I brought two. One is called... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.